How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. I'm your co-host, Hannah Seymour, and I am so glad that you are listening to this episode. We are in the midst of a First Peter series, and this is the second special edition interview that we're releasing as part of that series. Today, Michael is in the studio with Daniel and Jamie Hurd. These guys are amazing. It has been truly an honor to listen to their story, to edit this program, and to share it with you today. I know you are going to be moved just like we have been. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Verse 15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. We expect to bury a grandparent. We anticipate burying a parent. We reluctantly think about burying a spouse or a sibling. But God forbid we're not supposed to bury our children. Today on the broadcast, I'm humbled and glad to have Daniel and Jamie Hurd. Thanks, guys, for being in the studio. You're welcome. We're glad to be here. July 3rd, 2013, William, your son, was born. His big sister, Madeline, was two at the time. Tell me about a day in the life of William. Every day was fun with William. (laughs) So he was just, he was an easy baby from the beginning. He loved and adored his sister. Mutual? Oh, yeah. Madeline, I mean, she is so motherly, and so she loved him. So she was constantly kind of bossing him around, and he just would kind of go with it. And he wore his cowboy boots almost every day, no matter whether anything. He lived in cowboy boots and loved Daniel's uh, mom and stepdad have a farm, and he loved going down there and just looking at tractors and his personality was just really fun and really sweet. You know, he would just be walking around and he would just come and hug you just randomly. You know, he walked around and then just would come to your legs and give you a hug or, you know, in the middle of playing, he would just come over and love on you. And he was just really sweet. You know, for folks that aren't parents, how do you begin to explain holding a child, um, you know, from from birth to diapers to nursing to bottle feeding to, uh, you know, watching them 
get up on their arms, uh, wiggle around, first crawl. It is just pure joy. It is. I mean, it's such a unique relationship between a parent and a child. It. I mean, I don't know what you would compare it to. And that's I have such a heart for people that long to be parents and that, for whatever reason, um, can't have kids or something because it is just, I know it was in me and there's just a love there that I don't know what you could compare it to. Genesis 30, I think it's verse 1, um, Rachel and Leah, the competition's going on. Leah's having children like crazy and Rachel is not. And she goes to Jacob and roughly she says, give me children else I die. And uh, we went through many years of infertility. Our firstborn daughter was uh, our only biological child. And I often tell the story when I first held Hannah, it was as if I had this instant love affair falling into this person. Mm -hmm. Indescribable. No one can prepare you for it. And it never stops. Mm -hmm. So you've got these two precious kids. They adore each other, which is not common, you know, right? Sibling rivalry is, is probably more common than not so that's a precious thing on december 13 2015 william is at a different place well um we had a nanny at the time uh her name is Catherine, and she was uh, jamie and i were at work I, uh, I I work uh, in in Brentwood near our home. Jamie works in Nashville at a uh, she teaches at a private school, and Catherine was home with our two children, Madeline and William, as well as uh, a friend's child, Jack. And on that day, I received a frantic phone call uh, on my cell phone from Catherine, uh, and I could tell you know when I answered the phone, she was. Uh, just hysterical and the first thing she said was that uh, William has choked and the paramedics are I can't remember if she said they were in route or they were there but he's choked and he's not he's unresponsive and you need to get home right away so uh, I dropped everything and and took off for the house and uh jamie's not been notified yet i i was not i was at work and i was out at recess and um i got the call or i was in my classroom and my boss and a coworker came down and frantically came to my door and they said um something's happened to william you need to get home right away yeah i kind of instantly knew it was not good I had woken up early that morning and prayed, and in that prayer, I um, it's from Andy Stanley. I heard a message years ago on how to pray, and it completely changed my prayer life. And in that prayer was praying God's will to be done, and I just that morning had kind of spent some extra time there. And so as soon as they said that, I thought, this is, this is not good. God was preparing me for this. And so I instantly get in the car and talk to Daniel on the phone. I think maybe by the time we talked, I had already gotten to the house. Yes. And I, I, I pulled into the pulled into the neighborhood and onto our street to find uh, a number of 
emergency personnel. There was an ambulance there. There was a, I want to say there was a few police vehicles. There was a fire truck, EMT. There was, you know, it was a shocking scene. And your heart sinks and your stomach is in a knot. Yeah, uh, it's it's not what you want to see. I, I parked out on the street. We have kind of a big open front yard. I remember just jogging through the front yard to get to the house. And uh, there was a, a Brentwood police officer at the front door just to welcome me. Um, probably just, he drew, drew the short straw to be... Not a good day for either of you. Yeah. Um, so he he was just there, I guess, just to kind of support me and and walk me in. And uh, I, I, we walked inside to find the um, emergency personnel um, pretty frantically working with William to clear his... Uh, his air passage, he was laying on the floor. Uh, our kitchen and dining room are connected on the first floor of our house. And uh, he had been eating lunch and had uh, choked on a chunk of uh, chicken that was in the soup that he was eating. Um, I spoke to, there was kind of a person in charge of the emergency personnel. And she said, she let me know. Uh, she said, uh, we're struggling to clear this obstruction that's that's blocking his airway. We've we've tried a lot of different stuff, and we we can't clear it. We're going to continue to administer CPR and try to keep get his heart pumping, uh, but we're going to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. And so we jumped in the ambulance and took off that way. On the way there, I called uh, Tom Claggett. You might know Tom. Good uh, man. Tom helped put together our community group that that Jamie and I lead uh with some with some friends and uh i briefly explained to tom what was going on and i you know asked him for prayer and to spread the word and to and to ask for prayer uh within the church body and he he beat us to the hospital um he was there when we arrived jamie was out in the parking lot when the ambulance pulled in and uh we just walked into the hospital into kind of a chaotic scene as the hospital staff there tried their best to um, to revive William. Yeah, when I first saw him get out of the ambulance, I looked at him and you could just, I just saw like a lifelessness in his eyes. I just knew he was already gone. And um, they brought him in and they worked on him. I think it was like the 12th round of medicine and they his heart was not beating. And they said, this is our last attempt of to save him and um at that point I started like rehearsing a prayer I thought all of these people are watching this little boy die and they're gonna leave here like why like what I mean just brokenhearted and I thought I hate that and so I started like thinking of a prayer to pray with all the doctors and nurses that were watching this happen because I knew it was gone. I knew that I just, you know, I never really prayed for him to make it. That sounds really weird or a miracle. Um, and I know that doesn't sound good, but I prayed for God's will to be done. And I just, I feel like God gave me that peace of knowing that he wasn't going to make it early. And um, so then his heart started beating and I thought, huh, like this is... I don't know why his heart started beating. I was just really confused. 
and uh, his heart started beating, and they said, we're going to take him to Vanderbilt. But at no time during that was there any brain activity. And so even though his heart started beating, there was no brain activity. And so it wasn't until we got to Vanderbilt when, and really it's kind of a long process. They need to do like two, like a test. And then I think 12 hours later, do a second test. And I remember them, I was in the room and the guy, the doctor who was great and we've seen him since, but he uh, said, okay, William, we're going to, and I was like, I'm out. This is, this is, I can't handle like him. I mean, it, it, and he did it because, I mean, what else do you do? I mean, I get, but I just could not, couldn't handle. I was like, I can't, I can't watch this test happen. But, um, but so it did take a little while for them to finally say that, I guess, diagnose him. Yeah, just pronounce, pronounce, pronounce him, him dead, dead, I guess. Um, but I feel like we knew um, a lot earlier. How did you tell people? You know, um, so when I left work, I called Daniel and he said, just go straight to the hospital. Don't even come home. And so I got to the hospital before um, before the ambulance did. And so I had even called um, some of my friends on the way to the hospital and said, here's what happened. I need you guys to be praying. I'd sent a text message out to my family Um and asked for prayers. And then I remember we were at Williamson and um, then we went to Vanderbilt and I rode in the ambulance and I, I wrote a Facebook post in the ambulance. And I remember asking the guy, the driver, and I said, is this weird that I'm like writing this? Like I looked back and like saw William like back in the back of the ambulance. And I was, I just thought like, I need people to be praying now and I want people to know and he said no. <laughs> poor guy was probably like oh my gosh I can't believe she's asking me this but he said um, I think whatever you want to do is fine right now and so I sent out I wrote a Facebook post in the hospital or I mean in the ambulance headed to Vanderbilt probably do you have it with you um I can find it Okay. Do you want me to read it as I have some? Sure. Um, we serve a mighty God, and he woke me up early this morning to pray. I now ask for your prayers for William. He choked and is being taken to Vandy as they try to get him breathing again. We rest in God's love for us and his plan that surpasses our understanding. I, I can say in almost 37 years of, quote, being in some sort of ministry, I've never seen a couple like you guys, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you. Because I've seen the gambit um, from people that shut down, people that get divorced, people that blame, people that, that get in litigation with healthcare providers, on and on and on. I'm not, you know, being hard or unkind about any of those. You guys weathered this, if that's a fair term, you can push back on me, in a very unusual way. So it's every parent's nightmare. How did you process? Well, it, it was not easy. Um, but I, I think there's, it's kind of a, maybe kind of a long answer. There, I think there's a lot of things at play that perhaps prepared us 
to at least weather that and come out upright. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, not the least of which, at least on my end of things is I was, I was raised in a, in a fantastic home with parents who loved me, um, taught me about Jesus. So there, there was a foundation there for me that I think was important. And I know that Jamie had that too on her side of the family. We experienced some tragedy not, not too long before this that I think helped prepare us for, for such a time as that. Um, Jamie's father um, committed suicide um, just three months just three months prior to us to us getting married and so um, history of depression uh anticipation of this no not at all well i mean he struggled um and he drank and um i grew up my parents divorced when i was in fifth grade and i lived with him which was abnormal and i saw my mom every other weekend on tuesdays they lived in the same town but i was and later I found out through counseling you know he basically placed me um as responsible for everything in his life except for you know like sexually basically and we so probably a year before he died we were just kind of having issues I had moved I'd went to UT I'd moved to Atlanta he didn't like any type of separation was hard for him and he would take it out on me and so right before we so us getting married and kind of seeing even more me drifting away from him he didn't like and um so we were just kind of having some issues and I was in a small group and they said you know you should really see a counselor I thought well I don't really know what I'm going to say to a counselor but and they said to make sure it's a Christian counselor and I was like, okay. So I looked at my insurance. One guy called him, and I went. And I spent, you know, nine months before he died in counseling. And it saved my life because the point— when I first walked in there, and he later married Daniel and I, and um, when I first walked in there, the, he the said— The counselor? Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to get you to a place where whatever your dad says or does, like, it doesn't have an effect on you. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird, but okay. That's pretty impressive that he could make that declaration. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was then, you know, however many months later, this happened, and I didn't feel guilty. You know, whereas if I if this would have happened before I was in counseling, honestly, I probably would have been suicidal myself because I would have felt such intense guilt about me being the cause of him killing himself so let's just review so dan you had a great home life uh you've had a tragedy and a community jamie around you that goaded you to say hey you need to talk to someone Mm -hmm. so if we can principalize this you know a preparation for life stuff Mm -hmm. in in your story is huge oh a hundred percent absolutely as opposed to triage which most of us are going swimmingly along, something happens and the props are knocked out. Mm-hmm. Jamie, you're right. There is something redeeming in William dying right before Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas has become that much more important and meaningful to us. What better way to lift our spirits than to celebrate the birth of Christ? A Jesus that promises that our tears are not wasted 
and there is an end to them. I pray that you experience joy this Christmas as you truly celebrate the good news that came with the birth of our Savior. How do you write something like that? You know, it is not me. It is, I have, I don't know. Is is that is that guttural? Is it in you? Is it your heart? These aren't theological platitudes like I might write. <laughs> this is really... St- it is the Holy Spirit in me. I have, like, I lose sleep at night. Oh, and I think I, I say that in one post. And that's so silly, but I literally lay in bed and lose sleep over, like, words that are coming to me and that needing to... And sometimes I'll just write it and not post it, but it just helps me to kind of get it out. And um, I don't know. It, it's just kind of how I feel, and, and it is the Holy Spirit in me doing that. So when you're reading what Jamie's written, what, what goes through your mind, Daniel? He always – he al- I never post anything without okay. Okay. Daniel editing it. And, and I rarely have to, to do anything, but uh, I just – I'm usually pretty blown away because it's usually pretty profound. Uh, like yeah, usually we got we got pages. Up yeah, on <laughs> yeah, like what you just read. Yeah. It's a great example, and it's it sounds like something that it, you know someone that was classically trained and seminary educated uh, would would write. And so I'm 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 blown away and and honored that that we're kind of walking through this together. The need for a savior hit us like a ton of bricks when our two year old son lay brain dead on a hospital bed. I prayed for God's will to be done knowing that William was in the arms of Jesus. In that moment, we were experiencing the trials and sorrow that Jesus assures us that we will face in this broken world. It is with an eternal perspective that Daniel and I are able to trust in the plan of God and promises of heaven. We are on this earth for what will seem like a blink of an eye. And during that time, we won't necessarily have a clear understanding of why tragic events happen in our lives. But we can depend on some biblical truths to anchor, quote-unquote, us during these turbulent times. Among them, that God could take the bad circumstances we encounter and use them to create good that would further his kingdom. We have seen this truth play out before our eyes over and over again since William's death. I know people that have been through divorce or loss of money or a business or some deal gone wrong they can't say that and you lost your little boy but that is that all that is so true and so i mean that's how you can say it is believing in that so so what what differentiates you and you know people like this you guys have a sphere of influence and friends who can't get past the bitterness they can't get past the injury they can't get past the injustice but what well, how do you encourage them yeah i think like what you said about how like we were prepared you know we've gone to a church you included that preached such truth to us we were better equipped to handle that when when something happens you go back to that truth that was preached to you and believe it and cling to it and that's all you have but some walk away some say god if you're going to deal with me this way i'm i'm out of here it's it's an opportunity to 
gauge where your faith is and if you really believe some of the things you just read. Um, because it, it does sound good. It does sound good. No, no. It sounds great. Right. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. And it's it easy to other, it, it sounds otherworldly when I read it. It's easy to say. It. It's yeah. like, who can say these things? Um, I, I don't sense a platitude or sugary you know, greeting card pablum here. Th- this to me is like, well, of course they believe that and it's real. But again, uh, you know, the landscape that I've seen over 37 years and change, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. I, I've not met a couple that's gone through this like the two of you. So preparation is part of it. Let's just acknowledge that. But those people were around churches. They might have had tragedy. Your father's suicide. I mean, there's a number of factors. But again, I, I'm going to dig at this a little bit. There, there's got to be something. Uh, how, how do you articulate to a person Think of that man or woman or young person that, you know, a, a girl that was abused by her uncle for years or, you know, someone whose father committed suicide in their presence. I mean, trauma and injustice happen horrifically to people we know. And yet they can't, I'm not sounding glib, they can't turn that switch. How do you help them? Point them to Jesus. You know, and and the stories of the Bible where people suffer and and then it says you're going to suffer. And I think for me like knowing that this time on earth is so short and it's not about us. I mean it's not about us. I mean we're going to suffer and we're going to have these hardships. And but it's not about us. You know how we deal with it and show the light of Christ you know is ultimately I mean, I'm living for heaven. I mean, I'm ready. <laughs> I am. I think for me, you know, having such um, a longing for heaven and a longing for a place with no more sorrow, no more tears and like what we're promised. I think um, that can be hard, too, because some people will, I think through this, some people, you know, you read something about someone being so upset about something that isn't that big of a deal and i think i have a hard time being like okay really oh you know that's i call it hangnail you know you worry about a hangnail and people are dying you know you worry about a hangnail and you know yeah it's yeah but but that's human nature yeah for sure pain is i often tell people who live in chronic pain or have acute pain i say look there's no competition or comparison Mm -hmm. your pain's your pain and until you're there it doesn't really matter i mean and some people will say like when they're going through something, like we think of you guys who have right. endeared so much more, which is encouraging to them um, and encouraging to us. I mean, we are surrounded. I think that's part of it, too. So preparation. And we are surrounded by a community of people so strong for us that we're not doing it on our own. I would say that's the outlier, mm-hmm. that preparation may or may not be there. And a lot of people have been exposed to biblical truth and good teaching, and they've been to funerals, and they know people who have endured tragedies, but they don't have those friends who are closer than brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we are blessed with that, and uh, that's that's something that we heard over and over throughout this walk from people maybe who were kind of on the periphery looking in uh, was, wow, I've I don't guess I've ever seen a a community 
of just of friends, you know, your church community, but your your close knit group of friends that have just picked you guys up. I mean, and, and, and that, still do. That's and still do. That's so true. So we, I think we would credit that for a lot of you know our ability to weather this. So William is brain dead. And at what point do the healthcare folks come to you and say? So that that the the incident, if you will, happened on a Friday, and I guess uh, we were approached by the folks from Donate Life, Tennessee, and uh, we went into a meeting room with them, and they just presented us with some options about organ donation, and you know, I think Jamie and I had pretty much all, almost gotten to the point, you know, by that time that, that we had we'd accepted that William was, was gone. And uh, and so they came in to say, in the event that there's not a recovery here for William, we want to present you with options. Uh, it's, it's kind of morbid that we have to discuss this, but it's time sensitive for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And so we want to be respectful of you, but we also want to we want to present this opportunity to you now while, while there is a chance to do that, if you'd be interested and kind of talked us through that process. And, um, it was kind of a, it was just kind of a shot in the arm and it was a very, um, I don't know. It, it, it helped. Were you on the same page? Mm-hmm. Again, it, my experiences is just otherworldly because, um, I've seen either or parent. You can't, you can't do that to my son. You can't do that to my daughter. I mean, you know, you can't. They just can't go there. Yeah, I feel very thankful. It, I mean, we honestly didn't even. I mean, we kind of looked at each other and like kind of nodded. Um, they, and they we, gave us some time. We, we, nobody had to make a decision on the spot in front of a bunch of strangers. Well, and not to be too indelicate, but for folks that are listening. Um, once a child especially is on life support uh, you don't have a lot of runway Mm -hmm. but you do have some you do have some margin of time where when a person is is acute in a death they've not been intubated they've not you know cpr hasn't performed the time is much shorter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so there's a bit of window on that um so they they explain all that to you at some level Mm -hmm. and and then how do you make a decision to say uh, do you defer to the uh, transplant specialist to say well, what's viable or do they tell you what's viable? To me, when I heard it, I thought this is why his heart started beating again. Interesting. I thought this is, this is making sense. Like this is, this is why, I just can't believe you know, he didn't. Go. I can't believe you could go there. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'd be just like shell shocked in the corner, you know, numb, staring into space and Jamie, you're thinking, you know, eight steps ahead. Is she always like this? No. Uh, I think the I think the Holy Spirit, um, for sure, kind of set up residence in Jamie throughout this process and during in this like time. In like an out of body way. In like a, this is not me. I'm being controlled by the Holy Spirit in my actions and my thinking. And I, I think there there was a kind of a just a a peace and a calmness for for both of us to an extent so back to uh the transplant team um you make a decision i believe they took us through correct me if i'm wrong didn't they have to read out all of the 
the possibilities. Things, the possibilities and our reaction was well, it's it's not like, uh, and th- this could be different for everyone. So I'm not I'm not criticizing in any way anyone's decision. But for us, if we were going to be sharing William's organs in any way, shape, or form, um, and his earthly body wouldn't be here with us anymore either way, uh, we both were kind of just in the same on the same page that anything that they can use that's viable that might help another family uh, we're we're on board with um, so we just kind of selected the you know check all the boxes. check all the boxes right. Um, right. all the above selection and um, and we move forward there's a lot of misconceptions I think with organ donation and uh, you know we had an open casket I mean some people think you know you're gonna go in there and they're not going to look the same or they can't have an open casket after you do it. Um, But none of that was true. Right. And and to the medical community's great credit, they are extraordinarily conscientious about Mm -hmm. anyone giving an organ donation, um, that they do their best Mm -hmm. as as well as, you know, from the the folks on the medical side to the folks on the mortuary side Mm -hmm. of caring for that body. Uh, And and again, we... uh, we have a number of friends who have needed transplant mm-hmm. of kidneys or livers, and um, it's extraordinary how few people will even sign the back of their driver's license. That's crazy. It's mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and you mentioned it, Daniel. You know, this is a perishable body. It's a tent. It's not eternal. One of the most poignant metaphors in Scripture is an earthly tent. We we long for something, you know, better. And as we get older, we long a lot more for something better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is just a suit of clothes, and it's hard for, for whatever reason. Uh, and again, we're not saying it's right or wrong for people not to do that, but just more from an encouragement education. Um, now, let, let's, let's jump ahead because this is where the story, I mean, the story is already otherworldly. But you place William's organs for transplant. And you don't know where they go. UNOS is very protective about how organs are distributed. Mm-hmm. The, the person waiting for organs is a whole other subject. Yeah, so they told us that it might be, if we choose organ donation, it might be that they need to keep him alive a little longer. Um, and I think one thing for us, I remember sitting in the waiting room, and there's like, I felt like 100 people in there, and he's stable back in the back on a ventilator. And I thought, like, I wanted to scream. I was just like, what now? Like, do you pull the plug on a two-year-old or what? And so that's where I think it was an answered prayer with organ donation. And um, then when they said it might take a little longer, I thought, like, this is great. I mean, we just get to love on his little body even longer. And it shifted our prayers into praying for people that he could help, like, you know, which is in just a, just kind of an uplifting subject change. I mean, you can imagine the weight of all the people coming to see us, all the people coming in town, our family. And um, so I think that was something else that Oregon Nation brought us was just kind of that shift that was helpful the day after we got home, one of my best friends from high school said, she came in town and she said, have they told you about Ava? 
And I said, what? And one of my friends was like, we weren't going to tell her. We weren't going to tell her. And I was like, what? And they said, we might know who received William's heart. I mean, granted, this is 24 hours after surgery. So through Facebook, through my post and a friend of mine sharing my post and a friend of hers seeing posts about Ava kind of connected and they kind of called each other and connected like, I think this is William's heart that went to Ava. And so my friend Julia contacted another one of my friends and said, did they know anything about where it went? Well, in the hospital, we were told that it went to his heart went to Chicago um, and his few other organs went different places. And then someone else said something and they said, how'd you find that out? And we're like, I don't know. Maybe someone wasn't supposed to tell us. I don't know. We just overheard. I don't But we knew. And so um, so we get online and watch a news story of from Chicago of Amy so, and Brian. So let me interrupt you. So when you know now that we got a name and social media has exposed this and friends have talked, is is that like, oh, no, or is it like, oh, this is interesting, or? I thought it was interesting. I I wasn't like, this is it at the beginning. I thought, this is interesting. And it was kind of, I mean, you can imagine, like, the scene, me and all my friends around, like, and kind of like, oh, my God, like, wait, what? Could this, you know, and it was, it was just so needed when, when, Interesting. when it had been so dark and so sad. How'd, how'd you react, Daniel? I thought I thought it was very uh, interesting that that we could have possibly identified who received William's heart so quickly. I, I think that the people from Donate Life tell you that uh, there there are there are uh, milestones that you hit in which they will give each party, the donor and the recipient, an opportunity to connect. And if if both want to, then they'll help facilitate that. It's almost like an open adoption, you know. Right. How open do you want to be? It has to and be that's very... not for a year after. Right. Okay. That's, yeah. That's a year okay. later. And then then you know so there's there's never any guarantee that you'll ever connect with any of these people. And and if they sure right. And if they if they'd rather not, then for sure you're you're, you're, you're never gonna right. meet them or know who it was. And just through a. You know, just some just some odd circumstances. Us overhearing where his heart was headed, and and friends of friends. Uh, I think Jamie and her friends kind of goading her along. Uh, I was I was a little scared that it might be odd, really for the for the recipient family, to, you know, to be contacted. And um, well, that's when I had asked. I I remember looking over in our kitchen. He was standing out of the pantry, and I'm like. I'm going to so we watch this video and we see Amy and Brian and we s- literally see uh William's heart being wheeled out in a cooler, taken out. I mean they there's video footage of his heart being taken out of the cooler and the surgeon doing it and they said in their video like we are praying for that family who just, you know, lost their child. And we want to honor that life every day. And I thought, um, we're good. I love these people already. And so I'd be on, you need the spatula to get me off the floor at this point. Well, and I remember looking over and I'm like, Daniel, I'm going to, because they had like a Facebook great page set up for Ava. It was a hope for amazing Ava. And I said, Daniel, I'm going to, I'm going to inbox her. I'm going to write her a message. And he was like, no, he's like, (laughs) 
I mean, and I remember. Is that the lawyer or the protective husband or? <laughs> just, he's like, just I don't want you to mess minute. anything just up. Just give it a minute. Yeah, I was, like I said, I was just concerned that you, you might, you know, number one, just kind of invade their privacy a little bit. Uh, you know, most people would think it would be the other way around, but here Jamie and her friends are, um, you know. So her friends are all to either blame or credit, depending yeah, on your perspective. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah. Okay, let's let's move ahead because um, the part not the the story hasn't already wrecked me in the you know the past eighteen twenty four months. Yeah, you, know, you meet these people. Mm. I mean, within forty five minutes or maybe thirty minutes of messaging her, she messaged me back, and we talked and confirmed that night that it was the only pediatric heart transplant, and we just knew. So we started sending videos and. The way our friendship instantly, I mean, Amy is so, and we text all the time. Um, I've been up to, we've been up to Chicago. We go meet them in, um, so this happened in December, and they're doing a fundraiser in March for Ava and invite us up to the fundraiser. And we meet the little girl, and um, Ava is how old at the time? Would have been two in July. Approaching two. And she'd been in the hospital for quite some time? 111 days. 111 days. And her days were very numbered Mm -hmm. for her to be on the list. Mm -hmm. She was in heart failure. And um, Yeah, it was pretty remarkable to to hear them tell us their story. And I, I just imagine the, you know, kind of the reversal they knew before Ava was born that she had a heart defect and she had surgery within a few days, I believe, of her being mm-hmm. born, um, that they did the best they could with it. Um, and it, it lasted for a while and then, and then, she, and then it began to fail again. And eventually they had to face the reality that she was going to have to have a heart transplant. And she was, she was, she was going down physically, um, when, when William's heart became available and she was able to get a transplant. So you you meet the family, you meet her post-transplant, and there's some pictures on your social media, and you're doing something extraordinary. Yeah, we uh, listened to her heart. and um, With a stethoscope. With a stethoscope. Now you said her heart. Yeah, I guess. His. You know, honestly... Holding her is one thing. I don't know. Listening to William's heart didn't, I don't know. It didn't really, um, I don't know if I had maybe built it up or thought it'd be something different or I don't know, like holding her and still to this day, like being around her and holding her and playing with her, I love. And that to me is a connection. Um. But really, listening to her heart yeah, wasn't it, it really. It was kind of that way for both of us, and and I think there's there's like a there's almost like a I don't want to say a pressure, but there's an expectation that because you've seen everybody's seen the videos of the family that you know they they hear the heartbeat and it just you just you just melt and it, I think for us and that is I mean that's totally understandable, right? I mean I, I get that, um, but I you know you made the analogy about the the tent and the the empty suit and um 
so that was very special, but uh, we we know where William is. How, how did Madeline respond? She, when we pulled in their driveway, we were getting out of the car and getting all of our stuff, and I look around, and I was like, where's Madeline? And Amy's like, oh, she's in here in the playroom. I mean, she... When we got out of the car, she was in that house playing with. Now, Ava has an older sister, Ella, who's a little younger than Madeline. And um, they were fast friends. And so she she listened to William's heart, too. I don't know what she would say. And she would probably be dramatic about it. But um, <laughs> no she, doubt. She, yeah, no doubt she would say something dramatic. But um, she. You know, like we were somewhere the other day and she was telling someone about William and she always talks about Ava and talks about how her brother saved a little girl's life that was dying. And now Ava has William's heart. I mean, she always talks about Ava. And She's we had very it. proud. She She's is so proud. proud. And this year had Ava and when they came in town um, this past fall, brought him into the class and kind of show and tell. Um, had them come in and she's just really she's really proud mother's day 2017 ava's family comes to the nashville area Mm -hmm. what's that like it was awesome i loved having them here um we did like a abnormally large baby shower um because i was then pregnant with annie my friends were throwing in. I kept adding email addresses, and they're like, okay, that's a 100-person baby shower. <laughs> but I, we were so surrounded and loved. Everyone wanted to meet them, and everyone wanted to um, see them, see Ava and Amy and Brian and Ella. And um, any time we get to spend with them is just special and fun. Yeah, they They had a whole new set of fans uh-huh. down here in Tennessee that they didn't they didn't know they were that would acquiring. be overwhelming probably you come to town and yeah and they were so gracious you don't know but they all know you oh, that's yeah. right <laughs> that's right and and they were they're just so gracious and they've I mean they expressed to us their their gratitude just every time that we're together and or even when we're not together praise God they're, yeah. they're tremendous they're tremendous people now you decide to have another baby we did. And we were done. I mean, we, you know, we had the boy girl and everything was great. Um, so that um, I had felt kind of like our family was complete after having William and Daniel would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised in a family with it was me and me and a sister and um, it just uh yeah, it just it just felt complete to me. Uh, with with Madeline and William, we had one of each. It was it was beautiful. They loved each other, and I think Jamie probably before myself. But we both we both agreed eventually that just I mean you you go from a house with two children, particularly when you have a you know two a two year old little girl that has a perfect little playmate that she loves. Uh, four. Four. Yeah, four four year old at the time of his passing. And then he's gone. It just the dynamic of your household just uh There's a hole. Oh. Mm-hmm. There's a huge hole. And we felt it. I mean But And but, Madeline felt it. But speak to parents, uh nobody replaces William. Mm-mm. No. 
And I think some people, because we didn't wait that long, I mean, um, before trying for a baby. And I think, um, I don't know, I think some people probably would have thought we were in a way trying to replace him. And um, you can't do that. And that doesn't happen regardless. And so you have little Annie, and she's born. Is it exciting? Is it terrifying? Is it what if? It's. Uh, I mean, it It's. It's been incredible. I think there, there's a new, for us. There's, as you can ex- imagine, there's a there's a new appreciation for just all of the, the little things that you experience. You know, with a little one, and uh, we're trying to just pick up on those and acknowledge those as much as we can. Uh, it's also terrifying, uh, just to an extent, I think just the, the fear of something happening or it creeps into your mind. It's hard not to let that, I can't let your imagine. mind go that, I mean, that way. I can't imagine. Um, it is. And, um, you know, we went to counseling right after William died and it was great. I mean, that was, that's another thing, you know, preparation, community and I think everyone needs counseling personally but um, counseling really helped us and I remember after William or after Annie was born we went back to our counselor and I just said every time I walk in her room I'm afraid she's going to be dead I just like am praying that she is alive when I walk into her crib and you know that's I know that fear is not of God but it can be so overwhelming. And um, now she's eating food. And, um, you know, that's, I've asked people specifically to pray for me in that because that's, you know, that's hard. I mean, you just worry about the things, but then you're just reminded of, you know, God's brought me this far. And whatever happens, he's got it. And I'm ready. So, like, you know, six months after William died, Daniel's brother, at 19, drowned unexpectedly. I know I just explained having grown up in a household with it was just me and my sister. I'm, I come from a, you know, a, a family with a divorce, and my, my dad remarried. Um, we were close. He, had, he remarried and has had three children. Um, by his second marriage and uh, the middle child, a son, at the age of 19, uh, passed away in uh, May following William's passing. So so your father takes his life three months before you're married. Then William dies. How, how much longer is that? What's the time span between your dad and William? Dad died in 08, February of 08, and... William died in December of 15, 15 so and seven then your years brother, later. your half-brother. Yeah. In six months. Six months later. Uh-huh. You've had enough for a while. Mm-hmm. And with, I remember, you know, like I said, we did counseling after William died, and it was probably for like five months, because I think it was right before David died. We thought like, okay, we're at a good place. And, um... Then David died, and I instantly (laughs) 
dialed up our counselor and said, I need to come back. And just to kind of talk through, because that fear, like I talked about having Annie, there was a fear of something happening, just another tragedy, because they were both such freak. I mean, William choked, David drowned. They still don't have answers as to, I mean, he was out fishing by himself, found him bottom of the lake two days later. Um, and so I remember that was the beginning of May, and I remember being at a picnic for Memorial Day and not seeing Madeline for a little while. And all of these thoughts of her tripping and falling on a sharp object and it going through her heart or, you know, just, I couldn't help but think, kind of wait for something else to happen. And um, counseling really helped kind of talking through that and, um, and kind of, kind of brought me to a place to kind of deal with it healthy. When you process this whole story, what do you tell yourself? I'd, I'd remind myself uh, that we're, we're just simply not in control. We're not in control. And uh, I don't think there'll ever be a moment in my life that I feel that I've, that I feel less in control than, you know, when we, when we had to say goodbye to William, our, our dependence on God, I think, is just um, skyrocketed since since this has taken place. And so I tell myself that often that you know we're we're not in control. Jamie, what do you tell yourself? I tell myself that this is not our home. That we will be here for a short time, but ultimately, this isn't where we're meant to be this surrounded by the pain the heartache the sorrow that's not what god wants for us and has in store for us what do you tell other parents i have found myself telling other parents occasionally to enjoy it you know i i would give anything for for william to just make a mess in our house one more time and and i'm I'm a little OCD about just organization and messes and, and, and you know, little godly man, godly of course. Man. And, uh, uh, but just for him to just rub Cheeto fingers all over the couch would be such a joy. And, um, and I don't really have to say that much to, to people that, that know me cause they've, they've seen it, they get it. Um, my stepfather Gid, you know, um he he told a story that that kind of touched on that at the service and uh about will he's he's in agriculture he he has a, you know he runs a cattle operation has a farm and tractors and all the things that william loved and and william of course constantly wanted to go for rides in the tractor and they were having a fall party down at the farm and william of course wanted to go on sit in the cab with with Gid and go on every ride and and uh Gid explained feeling some regret when William was gone uh because uh, you know he had taken him two or three times and he made him stay behind because he was he's into everything and oh I just give anything to to take him you know and um so 
I would just tell I would just tell parents just to just to just to squeeze you know the, every little morsel out of that those experiences with the little ones that you can. What do you tell people about organ donation? I think that's something that in the future I want to kind of a way to remember William is really to promote organ donation because it can save people's lives. And, you know, several times I've gotten a text from someone that said, I just signed up to be an organ donor because of William. And, um, and it can make such a difference in someone's life. And to me, there's no negative reason not to be an organ donor. And um, we have just seen firsthand how healing it can be for the donor's family and just what a joy it can be for the recipient's family. We don't need our bodies when we leave. Daniel? Yeah, the same. I mean, it's just, it's been so tangible for us being able to be on the donor side of that and, and meet the family, the recipients. Um, Jamie and I were scared initially uh, because there's there's high incidence of rejection, rejection. yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, thank God there, there hasn't been any rejection in this case, and it's been a healthy um, donation and everything. But you know, we thought, gosh, what if what if something ha- you know what if Ava experiences complications and and this doesn't work out, and you know, what what if they lose her? Um, but they they would have they would have received six more months with their little girl or a year or two years or I mean and I don't know we there's nothing we wouldn't give to you know for six months or a year more with William and so it it, like Jamie said it didn't it didn't take it didn't cost us anything it didn't cost us anything and so and it was a huge source of healing for us Hmm. so Everyone should take their driver's license out of their wallet right now and sign the back of it. Jamie, one of the things you wrote, God has used William's short life to glorify him, and we feel honored to watch his plans unfold. And you believe it. I do. We have seen so much goodness come out of William's life. I mean, we have heard stories of more people going to heaven because of William and that's an honor that's I mean that's more than I can say what I'm doing with my life and um, and it's 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 really encouraging you know like you said how many letters we got we still get letters I got a text this morning that said you know you and William have been on my heart this morning and I'm praying for you and um, so we still are encouraged by people, and and I think that's what helps us kind of get through the day-to-day. And in those times, because there's many times where, you know, I'm, I just feel sad. I mean, I, more than anything, it's just a longing for heaven and a longing to see William and just sadness and... Um, God always provides a text or a card or a random gift that shows up in our on our front porch, and um, 
or just a story of someone, you know, that has shared William's story and, um, you know, people that are coming closer to Christ because of William. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the next best thing, the bigger, better, newer, more. Our hope is in the fact that Christ lived, died, was buried, and came back from the dead. He overcame this sting, this earthly tent, this absent, present conundrum, this asleep, awake dilemma. And uh, that's our undiscovered country. That's our home. A few things we want to mention. Number one, at the beginning of the episode, Jamie talked about a sermon series that revolutionized her prayer life. And if you want to look that up, it's by Andy Stanley, and it's called The Permission to Speak Freely. Second, if you want to follow along with the herds, Jamie read a post that she had written on Facebook. Michael also read a couple. She puts all of those on a Facebook page called Always Hashtag Willie Wednesday. That hashtag is one word. So always hashtag Willie Wednesday. And you can follow the herds and their story right there. And then third, you and I know so many people in our lives that are hurting. And those folks need to hear this story. Would you take a minute and share this with them? Send them an email or text with a direct link. Share it on your Facebook, on your Instagram. People need to hear the story. They need to hear about the hope that we can have in Christ amidst hard, hard things that this life throws at us. Would you share it with some folks today? Michael Easley in Context is fully funded from donations by our listeners. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website? You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters. Thank you.